just need to work some geometry I'm just picking up on what Martin said, it's always slightly worrying um, when you're on a preaching rotor and then you see what the vicar has assigned to you, um, because I always find as someone who's preparing a sermon, I learn more from it than anybody else, so you kind of think, hmm, the vicar must know that, so perhaps that's the thing that he really wants me to learn, or I'm the person most in the congregation who needs to learn that lesson. And, and I did have a, um, a few moments, um, I think it was, it was either last week or the week before, when a few words with Johnny were really quite helpful because I thought I was speaking on the stoning of Stephen um, and had prepared my sermon on that subject um, until he and I spoke. And he's actually doing that next week. Um, so it was quite useful um, that we had those words. Um, and I was able to act on that. Unfortunately, what it did mean was that I was preparing this sermon while up in Yorkshire this last week in the heatwave um, where my son was doing work experience. And we got there and I found I had accidentally booked a nice little log cabin that had a hot tub um, in the heat wave. Um, so I, 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 some of this has been prepared on a hot afternoon floating in a hot tub, which I like to think of as while I was relaxing I was preparing a sermon, so that is multitasking as far as I am concerned. So let's just put that out there. Um, but if it comes out a bit addled, probably because my brain was fried. Um, so anyway, so what do we have today? We have, um, oh, and there's a typo there, isn't there? Who noticed? Who noticed? Yeah, one person did. All right, so words are important, aren't they? There are more than one act in the Acts of the Apostles. So, um, and I've got to turn this on. I'm going to leave that there for just a moment, though. So, um, we have a lovely bit of conflict isn't it nice that the Bible has got conflict in it because it gives us reassurance that, that we can have it and that there are models of how to deal with it. And that's what this passage is about this morning. But it's always a good idea to understand the conflict, uh, the, sorry, the context of the conflict um, to help understand it. So, so let's just do a little bit of um, <clears throat> context on this. So who, there were three groups here, weren't there? There were the Hellenistic lot with widows. There were the Hebraic lot with widows, and there were the apostles and the rest of the church. And those are the three people that are coming in. So, so who were these widows? Um, so let's just do a little bit of history. No, it's on. Where do I point? Aha, oh, great. It's a bit small. Anyway, the one on the left is the Greek Empire. Um, this is the Medi... Oh, look, it doesn't work on the screen. That's a rubbish clicker, isn't it? Okay. The, on the, the top left-hand one, the big blue body on the left is the Mediterranean. And then on the, the right-hand one, the big blue bit with Mediterranean written on it is the Mediterranean. Okay, so it's a contour. So you can see, the Greek empire on the top left was all over the place in brown. Okay? And then the right-hand one shows you where the Roman empire was inside the black dots is where it was with Jesus. So you can see that the east end of the Mediterranean was first of all part of the Greek empire and then it got taken over as part of the Roman Empire. And I wonder if you've ever thought, just as a little digression, why Jesus was born in Israel, in that part of the world. If you think about the big landmass of the globe at the time, they didn't know about America. God did, but most people didn't. And Australia wasn't there. So the big landmass, he was born right in the centre of the big landmass. Not only was he born right in the centre of it, but there were some really hefty trade routes going right across from China through to Europe and back and then down through um, the Holy Land, down into Africa where there was the massive Egyptian empire 
um, and civilizations. So there's some really central, major civilizations going on there with huge trade routes. So Jesus was born right in the place where the message about him could be spread to the whole known world the fastest possible way. Okay, so that was... Okay, God, God knows about strategy, doesn't he? We shouldn't be surprised about that, really, should we? But, you know, it was an absolutely brilliant place to be. But that explains, that, I'm just showing you that to explain why, even though the Romans were in occupation, who spoke Latin, they actually spoke Greek in this part of the country, the part of the world, or a lot of them did. Okay, so we've got two sets of Christians going on here. We had the, the Hebraic Jews, some of whom had converted. They were the people who had perhaps come back at the time that Nehemiah led, or no, no, they were descended from the people who came back when Nehemiah came back from um, exile in Babylon, rebuilt the city of Jerusalem, never really strayed from there. They spoke the local language of an Aramaic version of Hebrew. Okay, so they were the Hebraic um, Jews. They would have spoken some Greek because that was the kind of the language of the empire, but mostly they spoke to one another in Aramaic. Um, And then there were the um, Greek-speaking Jews who... um, and get this right. No, oh, I'm going the wrong way. Okay, um, the Hellenist days, um, which literally just means, or the Hellenic, um, literally just means one who speaks the Greek language. But they would have been Jews that had been born elsewhere in the Greek Empire and, and either converted to, Jews, to Judaism or had were Jews from the diaspora that had stayed there. Um, and in fact, they were part of the much what became the much larger part of Christianity because, as you all know, the New Testament was actually written down in Greek rather than Aramaic. So they were quite a significant part. But um, even when Christianity got going, there were converts from the Greek-speaking, converts from the Aramaic-speaking. They probably, even though they would have had some means of communicating, they probably would have met in separate congregations um, simply because of ease of, of language and communication and all the rest of it. So... And, and somehow, in the, and which meant they probably would have done the pastoral work slightly separately as well. And somewhere in the middle of this, evidently, the Hebraic lot were a bit more on the game of looking after their widows than the Greek-speaking lot were. Um, and then this complaint um, came up. But, so that's the kind of the background to, to where the complaint came. Um, and then the other group here are the apostles. Now, they've been having quite an intense time. Um, we've been learning about them over the past few weeks. But let's just remind ourselves what's been going on for them. Um, so, every day they've been out preaching in um, Solomon's colonnade, it talks about in the passage. So, if you look, this is the picture of the temple. Okay, so, and that far corner labelled Solomon's porch or colonnade was a massive part of the temple. There would have been lots of stuff going on along there. Um, and our apostles have been getting themselves right in there, in the temple, preaching, preaching themselves to pieces, basically, day and night, right under the noses of the chief priests and the Sadducees, teachers of the law, who, who weren't really best pleased. They were like a little sect, okay, in there. They weren't saying your religion's wrong, they're saying Jesus came to put your religion right, okay, so they weren't creating a brand new religion, it was, you've got it wrong mate, you're carrying it out wrong, it's not what God says, do it our way, so they were in there, okay, and there was a lot of response, there was a lot of growth, Um, they were healing people, okay, the big crowds, there were miraculous healings going on, big crowds all around, Um, and drawing more people in, and because of the healings word, so people were coming in from the district. So they would have been doing quite a bit of almost like rabble rousing in the temple, definitely creating a stir in the temple with what was going on there. 
And in response to that, the chief priests and the Sadducees um, stuck some of them in prison. We read about that in the previous chapter. They're in prison, but then an angel came and let them out. Okay, so they were seeing the miraculous, took them out, and what did they do? They went back to Solomon's colonnade and got on with preaching the ministry, even though they were then called back in and let off, let off with a warning and a flogging. Okay, now this is not a rap on the hands from a school ruler. Okay, this is serious flogging. I think they said, they said that 40 lashes was the death sentence, I think, um, simply because the, the, the thongs that they used would have had little bits of bone and teeth and things wound into them. So they, this would have been really, really nasty stuff. So the apostles have been having an intense time. They've been seeing huge miracles going on. They've been facing persecution, and they're still out there. They're doing door-to-door, even with stripes on their back, literally. That's what it was meant when, you know, he had stripes on his back is what's left from the lashing here. Um, and they're called in. Um, and so here they are. They're probably hot. We all know what hot feels now because it's quite hot in that climate. They've been busy. They're sore. Um, maybe even got infected who are probably feeling ill as well. Um, and then they get this complaint that comes in that says, yeah, we're not getting our food rations right. Okay, so they had a choice. I wonder how we would have felt about that. Would we have felt, oh, okay, that's not my job. You know, let's, let's get, you know, come on, sort this out yourself, guys. But no, they didn't do that. And I've just realised that one of my problems with doing this in the hot tub is that I haven't marked on here what my next slide is or what it is, so... Oh, yeah, that's words. Oh, let's stay on the picture. Um, so, oh, actually, no, that was quite crucial. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the words about what I've just told you in the Bible. You can read that yourself. Okay, there's the complaint. Okay. Um, but they carried on preaching. All oh, right, now, what do they do about this complaint? Okay, what did they do? They had a meeting. They got everybody together, both the Greek-speaking and the Hebraic-speaking, Probably had an away day, okay, somewhere, got them all together, put them in breakout groups, good old discussion. They had a proper congregational discussion about this issue, okay, because it was actually significant, okay. Um, And what did they do? They listened to what people said. They made sure everybody had had their, um, their say about it. And then what they did, and I have got a flag here, um, they listened to everybody, and then the apostles made a proposal. The proposal was this, that they would put together a a group of seven. Now, this was a recognized Jewish way of handling an issue of importance. Um, So if you look back to their records, if there was something that any group of Jews came together or in any organization, right, this is a matter that really needs serious attention, either to... um, to, to, to sort out or to put people in charge of sorting it out. So they put together a board of seven, it was called. Okay, the number was significant. Um, and interestingly, when you read the names of all the people, um, they're all Greek names. Okay, so these would all have been from the Hellenistic side of the, the, um, the divide, which I hesitate to call it. Okay. So the cynic among you might say, well, okay, you've raised the problem, you fix it, which is probably what the business manager, we might have been tempted to do it. But, um, but nevertheless, they were all people of God, really serious-minded, and, and actually everybody supported this as a move. It says that very clearly that um, everybody, so they were 
the apostles said, you choose seven people. All the people went away together. They chose those seven people, brought them back, and then the apostles um, launched them with um, commissioning. Perhaps not with the queen, but they gave them a proper laying on of hands, a prayer, commissioned those people as a proper board of trustees, if you like, to, to make sure that this division of pastor, this sorting out of pastoral care and feeding the widows was um, actually dealt with really, really well. And quite probably that they didn't actually do the distributing themselves. They would have gone away and put together a team of people. Um, because actually giving out bread to widows doesn't necessarily mean you have to have great skills in evangelism or teaching or gifts of tongues or anything like that. You just need to give food out. Okay? And that's quite significant because you know, God doesn't necessarily call, he calls us to use our gifts but there's a lot of work that needs to be done that doesn't need gifts as well, isn't there? So, um, so, and we definitely know that some of that board of seven, let me go back to them. These arrows are not intuitively the right way around. So Stephen, we already know, he's already described as a man of fire and a man of God. And when find out next week, he, he was so on fire for God that he got up the noses of the people, in, of the religious leaders so much that they actually martyred him. And that's what Johnny's going to talk about next week. Philip went on to do great things as well. I don't know much about the rest, but the reason Nicholas from Antioch at the end, um, the fact that he's called from Antioch means that he wasn't born a Jew, but he was converted into Judaism and then converted himself into Christianity as well. So, you know, there's a good spread of interesting people in charge of that board there. Um, so they probably put a, a team together Made, they would have overseen it and made sure that it worked. Um, and that's actually from India, but anyway, you get the picture. Okay. Um, but I wonder what we might learn from this, okay? Because there are some that might say, well, this attitude of the apostles to say, well, it wouldn't be right for us to um, neglect the word of the ministry and deal with handing out food and I wonder you know that people might say well that's them saying it's not important enough but actually by putting the board together they're making it very important and there's something um, I'm something I've been learning um, from my I'm doing an MBA at the moment um, it's nearly at an end um, but it's been one of the things that we've been learning about is how important it is oh no there we go if you look at, um, if you want to keep an organisation on track, oh, I realised I was going to make, I was going to put some toilet rolls together and make an arrow. Oh, I didn't do that, sorry. Like, um, there's a lot of lighthouse preparation going on in our house at the moment. I've got a hall full of um, the space costumes that have all been washed. Um, so there's not many toilet rolls left. They're all gone into the craft sacks. But I was going to make an arrow and try and throw it. But one of the things we've been learning on, on good strategic corporate decision is that the people at the tip who are the leaders it is absolutely vital that they stay on course they stay on point okay they are the ones who are at the front and they stay absolutely on the core vision the core activity the core mission okay so that's why it's important because if they don't the arrow starts going all over the place and and sometimes they don't even splits okay so um it wasn't that they were downgrading the ministry of the food it's just that they were saying well we've got to stay on the ministry because at this point the, the whole principle was just to get the word of God out wasn't it um, and then in a nice well-ordered church the shaft all the members of the church are neatly lined up 
right behind the leaders, aren't we all? Always. We never, ever go out of line behind them. All neatly lined up, okay? And then the fletching or the balances, or some people call them the flights, these are the different kind of activities that the church or that the organisation does to help the arrows stay on course. And what we're actually seeing here is that the apostles, by taking this seriously, they are building in this pastoral ministry of, at the moment, feeding widows. I suspect it went a lot further than feeding widows because every point of contact with them would have been an evangelistic opportunity. It would have been a pastoral opportunity to listen to them, to hear their stories, um, and to feed them in other ways beyond, beyond food. And, um, but it, they're building in pastoral ministry as an essential fletching or an essential flight of the ministry of the word that keeps it true. Okay, and we saw that in Jesus' life, didn't we? How much he, you know, how much value he set on ministering to other people. So this is really that they're actually by by setting this board up, by taking it seriously, they are building this in as an essential part of the ministry of the new church that is being established, and they're doing it very, very early on. Okay, which is, is quite significant, I think. Um, and then that knock at the end, uh, you, you can't leave a, a little bit. It was a pre-printed diagram, so but that, that's where it connects to the power. Okay, so you need a knock in your church, because otherwise you're not connected to God. And that's the one that launches you off. So anyway, that's not part of this sermon. Um, so what about it for us? Okay. Um, this is really fundamental, isn't it? The, the message for, is here for both the church and for individuals. So the church, the church leaders, need to be absolutely sure about what ministries the church needs to have as part of it in order to keep that arrow flying straight. Okay, and, um, and also in helping people to get themselves into the right ministry within the church. So if you get somebody who's in the wrong thing, the whole arrow starts going a bit wonky, doesn't it? And also... We cannot be good at everything, can we? I know some people like to think they are. Some people are good at everything. People like me are not. Okay. Um, and, and God has put us together, hasn't he, in, in many different ways and giftings. So hopefully... No? Oh, no, that's... Oh, that's blown. It wasn't, you're going to get a question anyway. It's just that I've claimed it today. Sorry, that's given it away, hasn't it? Right, this is the one. So just as a body has many parts, but all its many parts from one, form one body, so it is with Christ... We're all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So everybody is not made up of one part but of many. And then again, Corinthians, I won't read all of it, but you are one body and each of you has a part of it. Okay, and then 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, okay, that is talking about the higher spiritual gifts, but then above it, it talks about God has placed in the church, first of all, prophets, then apostles, they're the leaders, then prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So helping's up there um, as part of the gifting that is needed. It doesn't matter what you're helping with, it's just helping. And we can all do that, can't we? Okay, so that's the... I didn't even get these in the right order, so I really have had an adult brain set. Anyway, so that's the thing. What we're going to do um, is I thought we would just spend a few minutes. Johnny's given us some homework over the summer holidays, hasn't he, to think about what mission or communities we might like to um, 
consider ourselves part of. Something I've got a couple of things in my mind that I'm, I'm pondering at the moment. Um, but it's not just missional communities, is that we're already in communities as well, aren't we? And so I would like us to have a little think. There are two things that what can we do for others? And I mean by others, I mean the people around us. Okay, can we mow the lawn for the neighbours? Okay, our neighbours wonderfully look after our guinea pigs when we go away. But it, it's more than that, you know. It, I mean, that's just a, a tit for tat, but it's more, what can we do that would really help them? Okay, or other people that would come into perhaps in the school playground or in the office. Um, and sometimes by doing something either for someone or with them, that's when the best opportunity arises to share your faith, isn't it? Because you're doing something together. Um, so, I'd like us in our groups to have a little chat about what can we do. So, not necessarily what can you as individuals do, but what generically could be done. But then also to share things that you may already be doing, because that might give really good opportunities um, or good ideas to other people. So, I'm just going to spend a few minutes on that. Um, and then I'm going to come and pray, and I will hand back to Claire. I think, yes. Okay, so just, just five minutes on this. Um, what can you do for others that will build our relationships because it's through relationship that we earn the right to speak of Christ.